Karis, Rick, thank you so much for that song. Uh, just absolutely uh, beautiful. Um, if you were here with us when we kicked off this Seek series, we started off with Mary and Joseph's story. And we saw that in the middle of the difficulties of the, the, you know, if it was a stable and, you know, mom not being there and being in a strange place and just all the difficulties, that somehow it says that Mary treasured all this up in her heart. That somehow in the midst of this difficulty, she had peace. Or the way we put it was she found contentment. But what do you do when you're in the midst of a difficulty? When you find yourself waiting and you don't have peace. Instead, you find yourself plunging into darkness. Three times in the last couple of weeks, I've heard a, an interview with a guy by the name of Louis Giglio. He's been on several podcasts. And Louis is well-known in church circles for leading the Passion Movement. The, the Passion Movement is a series of conferences aimed at college students, and this will be their 20th year of doing conferences for college students. Louis is also well-known because many of the worship leaders that have been part of these conferences are guys by the name of Chris Tomlin and Matt Redman and David Crowder and others. And some of these guys have gone on to record albums that have become top sellers. And it, in fact, here at Riverwood, we've even sung some of their songs. And if... Uh, if you know anything about Louis, he's occasionally one of the co-writers on some of those songs. He helps lead Six Steps Records, which is what uh, the record label that many of these albums come out of. And he's been very, very busy. Well, in 2008, Louis, I guess he thought he didn't have enough to do. On top of trying to lead the passion movement, and they were in 2008 doing uh, conferences all over, not just the U.S., but the world, and trying to lead Six Steps Record, he also decided you know what, we should plant a church. Actually, he felt it was God saying, I want you to plant a church. And big surprise here, they named it Passion City Church, and it's in the Atlanta, Georgia area. But in the middle of trying to plant a church, lead Passion, lead Six Steps Records, his mom passed away of a debilitating disease. His wife suffered, uh, I think it was back injury while they were overseas, and they ended up being stuck there for several days. Uh, the economy crashed, and that affected their ministries and him personally. And so it was no surprise that one night, Louis found himself waking up in this incredibly difficult, stressful time at 2 a.m., and he couldn't breathe. He suddenly starts awake, he can't catch his breath, and he thinks, I'm dying. This is it. I'm gone. And he somehow wakes his wife in his panic. And she wakes up and realizes something's wrong. And they rush to the ER. And they get there and they find out that nothing's wrong. It was just a pure anxiety attack. It was just, he, as he put it, he says, it's just an old-fashioned nervous breakdown. And what began to happen was every week he would have some different symptom in his body where it was like significant, and they would go to the doctor. And 15 different times the doctors looked at him and said, Louis, there's nothing wrong. So here he was, but instead of finding contentment like Mary, Louis said he found himself in depression, in darkness. He felt like he couldn't pray. He, he couldn't read the scriptures. He just felt lost. And he said it got so dark that he thought he would never, ever be able to lead again, to speak again, to pastor again. In fact, he thought that he was never going to even have respect again. 
What do you do when you're in the pit? When you're at the bottom? How do you emerge? Because I'll tell you, if you've never been there, it sucks. It's horrible. One of the things that happens is you don't want to see people. Because what's the first question people ask you when they see you? How you doing? Yeah, you just answered it. And when you're at the bottom, when you feel like you're in the dark, you don't want to answer that question because you're embarrassed. You feel like you're weak. You just feel debilitated. And honestly, who really wants to hear your wine story? And so you just lie. And you say, oh, I'm fine. And inside you know that your face may be saying it's summer, but your heart knows it's winter. A harsh, cold, cruel winter. And if you follow Jesus, it seems compounded, doesn't it? Because Jesus is supposed to be the light of the world, and yet it seems like his light is shining everywhere except your own heart. You, you, see, you hear people talk about, well, God said this, and they read the scriptures, and man, it's just coming alive. Yet when you used to read the scriptures, God just seems silent. Like you start praying, and you feel like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling. It's like God's nowhere to be found. He's turned his back on you. What do you do in those moments? How do you emerge out of the darkness when it feels like you're stuck in Narnia, where it's always winter and never Christmas? Well, today we're going to go to the Christmas story. We're actually going to find a portion of the Christmas story that takes place after the birth of Jesus. And what we're going to see in the life of this man, who, I will be honest, we do not know if he was depressed. We have no idea if he felt in spiritual and emotional darkness. But I see him do two things that can help us when we find ourselves in those difficult places, and it will help us to seek hope and find it. The man's name is Simeon, and his story is found in Luke chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible or Bible app, open up to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read his story. So let me pray, and then I've invited Karis to come and do the scripture reading for us. So Father, as we get ready to dig into the scriptures— Lord, ultimately, we need this to be you talking, not just Aaron Bird, not just the thoughts that I've had this week. This needs to be you. And so, Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would speak to ears, you'd speak to hearts, you'd speak directly to minds, and that people would walk out of here, not being impressed by anything that I might say, but be impressed by who you are and what you've, you've said. And Lord, I pray for anyone that is struggling right now, that today would give them hope that you have heard their prayer, you've heard their cry, and today you are giving them what they need to begin these steps out of this darkness. So Father, give us hope today as we look at your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, Karis. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple and when the parents brought him in, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Thank you, Karis. It has been fantastic having her back this week. Uh, She obviously survived the first semester of college, uh, and uh, we are looking forward. We've gotten one week with her. We get five more, and uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. We're looking forward to it. So thank you, sweetie. Um, All right, so we meet this guy named Simeon, all right, right there in chapter 2, starting uh, in verse 25. And, And notice how it describes him. It says that he was a man who was righteous and devout, In other words, he took his faith as a Jew very, very seriously. In fact, I would even liken him to be a little bit like the prophets because it says that he had the Holy Spirit upon him. And that's often how the prophets were described, that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and then they would speak God's word. Well, God spoke to Simeon. And it says it right there in verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So God was speaking to him. Thing is, we don't know when God told him this. I mean, to be honest, it could have been a year before this incident took place. It it could have been the week before. We don't know. So I'm going to be honest and say that I am, to make my point today, reading a little bit into the story. All right? I'm stretching it just a little bit. But I'm comfortable doing that because as I study the scriptures, I see God work in people's lives a certain way. And that is that God often molds and shapes people through times of waiting and through times of difficulty. For instance, take Moses. Moses, after growing up in Egypt, flees Egypt, and he ends up spending 40 years in the desert working as a shepherd. Right, just out in the wilderness, spending a lot of time alone. Now, he got, a fam- he got married, he has a family, he's, he's tied in with the tribe, but a lot of time would be spent out alone. Forty years. And then he has the exciting burning bush moment. He goes back to Egypt, all the plagues, bringing the people out. And then he spends another 40 years leading the people in the desert. Right? Moses had a very long, boring life, other than a few exciting incidences. And yet, out of all that waiting, the Jewish people consider Moses one of the greatest of their prophets. Or take Joseph from the book of Genesis. Joseph, when he's 17-year-old, has a dream that he's going to be in front of his brothers, and they're all going to bow down before him. Now, he was kind of one of the youngest at the time, and his brothers didn't exactly like hearing that. So they got a little ticked off, threw him in a pit, sold him off into slavery— And then while he's a slave, someone lies about him. That gets him ended up in prison. While in prison, he helps someone, and then they proceed to forget him. So he rots in prison for a couple more years. He hit rock bottom. He went through some really difficult times and just was waiting. And then suddenly, the moment happens. Pharaoh needs help. Joseph's the guy. He comes out of prison. He interprets the dream, and he's named number two in all of Egypt. And then wouldn't you know it? A famine hits. Egypt has food. And his brother and family travel all the way from the Middle East over to Egypt. And they're asking for food. And what do they do? They bow before this guy that they don't know is their brother, but the dream came true. But Joseph was a very different guy when his brothers are bowing to him than when he had the dreams. God developed him and made him into the amazing epic person that he was through the waiting and the difficulty. 
Or take King David, the greatest king of all of Israel. He is told as a teenager, he was anointed as the king as a teenager. And yet, he has to wait 15 years before he's actually the king. And even then, he wasn't even king of Israel. He was just king of Judah, the northern tribe. It wasn't until five years after that, then he finally unified all of Israel and now was the king. He had to wait 20 years for the fulfillment to come true. And I could go on. We could look at Noah. We could look at Jeremiah. We could look at Peter. We could look at all sorts of men and women in the scriptures and see that they became epic men and women of faith and God shaped and molded them through waiting and difficulty. That's why to see a guy like Simeon, who's identified as this man who's righteous and devout, full of the Holy Spirit, I don't think it was just God going, "Ah, I kind of like this one. We'll just give it to him. I think God developed him and built him And I suspect one of the ways was when he was in his 20s, God says, I'm going to show you the Messiah. And now here he is waiting. He's probably in his 50s, his 60s. Back in Jesus' day, if you were over 50, you were considered quite old. 50 was like retirement age for priests. If you made it into your 60s or your 70s, you were ancient. Very few people made it to 80. 80 for them would be like our century mark. If someone made it to 100 years old, whoa, that's a long time. For them, it was 80. So here's this guy, probably getting close to death. And again, I don't know what he was feeling, what he was thinking, but I kind of think he's been waiting a long time to meet this child. As I was studying Simeon's story this week, it made me think of a different Old Testament character. Just as Simeon was waiting to meet this child, this Messiah, it made me think of Abraham, who also spent a long time waiting for a child, for his own son, The difference, though, is that God didn't tell Abraham that he was going to have a son until he was 75, right? At the time when he should have been playing with his grandkids and great-grandkids, he still has no kid. And he and Sarah are probably thinking, we'll never have kids. And yet here's him at 75, his wife is 65, and God says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. And the crazy thing is, Abraham believed him. Scriptures say that he believed God. I suspect that when Simeon was in his 20s, his 30s, God says, gonna let you meet the Messiah. I bet there was this moment where he was humbled. It was a little stunned. But I suspect he probably believed God. Probably was like, wow, thank you. But after that high moment, that peak, you're gonna have a child. You get to meet the Messiah. Now begins the waiting. And you just find yourself tumbling And in the middle of the waiting is when we kind of do some rash things. We begin to doubt God, begin to question him, or or we begin to question ourselves. And sometimes we actually will try to make the dream a reality. We'll force it. Abraham, he tried to force the dream to become reality by taking Sarah's servant, Hagar, making her a wife and trying to have a son through her. And sure enough, she had a son, Ishmael. But God just kind of shook his head and says, no, I told you the son was going to come through Sarah. You've got to keep waiting. By the way, Abraham's story, God did provide a son, Isaac, when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. Right? They finally had a kid. But before that, there was questions. There was doubt. They tried to force it. You and I, we do that too. We we will try, you know, we're waiting for a spouse. And so we end up dating someone who's just not the right person. Or, Or we're waiting for that job. 
And it's just not getting it. So we might take some underhanded techniques or we might lie a little bit to make ourselves look a little better so we're more likely to get it. Or, you know, we're waiting for, I don't know, that, that phone call that's going to change our life or waiting for the pregnancy or we just find ourselves in the middle of waiting. And as we're there waiting, that's when we get uncomfortable. That's when we start to plunge into darkness. That's when this winter begins to set in upon our soul. What do you do to get out of it? I remember in 2008, uh, I was, uh, had a, this moment of sitting at a computer, doing a routine check of email. One email led me to a church website, and as the church website came up, I just had this moment where I felt like God said, I'm going to have you go to this church to learn how to plant a church. And I won't go into the whole long story. I fought it for a while, but eventually, okay, we'll do this. And it took us two years to be ready, but I finally stepped off staff at the church. I raised some money, and we headed off to Kansas City to do this leadership residency. However, as we headed to Kansas City, we were going there against the advice of some of the people in Kansas City. They're like, Aaron, you can come. However, we would just encourage you, know where you're going. Because the most successful church leadership residents are those who have come in, learned everything, and they have a context in which to apply it. They can be thinking in their head, here's what this would look like in this city. But I didn't have a city. I didn't have a location. But I thought God will provide. And so we headed to Kansas City, and almost once a month, I would make a trip up from KC to the state of Iowa to go and drive around, to pray, to look at places, to try and have conversations, just trying to figure out where is it that God is leading my family. But as the year went on, nothing was working out. I'd start to identify a location, and then for various reasons, it just it wouldn't happen. It just wasn't the right spot. And so I'd find another city, and doors would kind of close there too. And it was starting to get really, really frustrating. And I think the staff at the church in Kansas City, and I honestly, I wouldn't blame them for thinking this, but I think some of them were starting to wonder, is Aaron really called to plant a church? Like, he, he can't find a place. One of, uh, one of the board members of the church, he wasn't a staff member, but he, he helps with a lot of church planning around the Kansas City area and even further around the nation. And he does a lot of coaching with church planners, and, and he just does a lot. And so he kind of caught on to my story, was seeking to help me out, to help me get a place located, pinned down. And so there was one meeting where he's like, Aaron, let's get together, and I want to invite a couple of these other guys who I think they might be helpful. So I sit down with these three gentlemen. They barrage me with questions, trying to hear my story. And I'm letting them know I grew up in Iowa, I did ministry in Iowa, but yet nothing's opening up. And one of them sits there and says, Aaron, this just doesn't make sense. I mean, if you were born in Iowa, you've lived in Iowa most of your life, you did ministry in Iowa for nine years, why isn't things opening up for you? Either you're called to plant a church and it's not in Iowa, or you're called to Iowa, but it's not to plant a church. And at those words, I just felt myself plummeting down into spiritual darkness. I suddenly began to question God. And really more accurately, I began to question myself. Was I really called to this? When you find yourself in that dark, it gets scary, and you kind of don't know what to do. And that's where I see Simeon do two things that can help us out. It's helped me out, it's helped others out, and I think it can help you out. So let's look here, Luke chapter 2. It's in verse 27. And again, keep in mind, we do not know the emotional state of Simeon, all right? I don't, I don't want you to think that here's how he was. But I think it's safe for us to say this is a possibility. 
right? So what is it that he did? First in verse 27, we see that it says, he came in the Spirit, right? Stop right there. In the Spirit. This tells me that he was a man who was continuing to study the Hebrew Scriptures. He was continuing to pray. He was continuing to worship. Now, if you're in spiritual darkness, it is incredibly difficult to worship God. All right, when you feel like God's back is to you, it's really hard to say, hey, God, you're wonderful, you're great. Because it's like, he's ignoring me. And you feel like it's worthless. Louis, uh, in some of these podcasts I listened to, he, he said that he just couldn't focus on the scriptures. He couldn't really pray. He just felt completely alone. Really felt like God had abandoned him. And as he's laying in bed one night, all of a sudden he just finds himself just like desperate. And he just whispers a cry out to God. And he says, God, just give me a song. You see, for Louis, one of the ways he connects with God is through music. And so it would make sense that he leads this record label that has all these worship artists. And and their conferences are known for having just amazing worship through music. It's one of the ways he connects. And here he was, laying in bed, feeling like he's just dead in winter. And he can't worship. So he says, God, just give me a song. And he said, suddenly, he began to get just a simple little melody and some words. And so he began to sing. <laughs> and it was in that moment, he said, his heart began to scoff. His heart was like, what are you doing? You're trying to sing about the love of God. You're trying to sing about his presence. You're trying to sing about his mercy. He's not here. And it was in this moment where Louis realized, I can either go with what my heart feels or with what my head knows. And so he decided, I asked for a song. God gave me the song. I'm going to worship with my head. And so he began to sing it, even though his heart wasn't feeling it. Over the course of the days, he remembered the song, and he says he just kept singing it over and over and over. And eventually his heart began to catch up with his head. And one day they began to get in sync. And as they got into sync, it was like the darkness cracked open. Light came streaming through. And hope, in a sense, was being restored. He found God through worship. When you find yourself in a really difficult spot, you're waiting and waiting and waiting for a kid or for a job or for some dream to come true. And you're thinking, is God even going to make it happen? The first step is to worship Even when your heart isn't there, what your head knows to be true, that if Jesus really was God who came to earth, took on human flesh, ends up growing and living a sinless life, but goes and dies a sinner's death, and he did it on my behalf, then it doesn't matter what my heart feels. I got to go with what I know is true. So I've got to worship at least with my head. And you keep worshiping Jesus. Now it's hard. It's not easy. But if you need to, you cry out and you say, God, just give me a song. Help me to worship. But not only do we see Simeon worship, we see him do the next step. And it's the very next phrase. It says that he came in the spirit into the temple. In other words, he kept moving. He kept going. He didn't stop. He went. Uh, Have any of you ever been caught out in a blizzard? Like the temperatures are plummeting and, okay, I see a couple heads, yes. Right? My favorite place to be in a blizzard is inside, 
Right? If I could like say, okay, Aaron, you're going to be in a blizzard and I got to pick where I was going to be. It'd be in a cabin up in the mountains, in the woods. I'd have a big hot mug of tea laced with honey, of course. I'd have a blanket, a book. My family's nearby. I'm near a fireplace. Now I can do the blizzard. That's, that'll be just fine. Thank you. But if my kids were like, dad, let's go outside and make a snowman. I'd be looking at them going, no way. It's like minus 30 with 30 mile an hour winds. I'm not going outside. Knock yourselves out guys, but no, I'm staying in. Right? Unless you're going to strap skis to my feet and put a mountain underneath me, I'm staying inside. I am not going out in a blizzard. Well, when you are in a winter of the soul, you don't want to go out. You find yourself wanting to just retreat, and you bury yourself in drink and in food and in movies and in your bed covers, and you just don't want to go out. You want to just stay in. And one of the ways that comes out in me is I don't talk. I don't let anyone in. I don't want anyone to know. Maybe it's my guyness. You know, I don't want to appear weak. And, and when you're struggling like this, you just feel like you are so weak. But you don't want anyone to know. You try to put summer on the face, but in the heart, it is winter. It's a blizzard. A few months ago, I just kind of was hitting a low, low. Riverwood just wasn't growing. I'm tired of doing, you know, two jobs. You know, things were just really stressful. We couldn't find a worship leader. I just didn't understand why things were going so difficult. And so I just kind of hit low. And Leanne kind of caught on because Leanne's awesome. And I wasn't talking to her, so she forced me to talk. And then she says, Aaron, I think you need to bring this up with Steve. Steve's my church planning coach. We meet online by FaceTime or whatever technology we find to use. We just connect online, and he tries to just coach me on, Aaron, how's this going with Riverwood? Here, what, have you thought about this? I bounce questions off him. We spend about an hour, and it's been really, really helpful. But Steve confessed early on in our friendship that, Aaron, I'm not really high on, like, a spiritual gift of mercy. Like, I, he, he admits, I would be a lousy counselor. Right? He tends to be the kind of guy to just say, oh, come on, just put on the shoes, strap them on, let's go. There's a world out there that needs Jesus. Get out of your pity party. Let's go. And so I didn't want to tell Steve, but I know better than to go against the wishes of my wife. And so I emailed Steve to give him a heads up. Hey, at our next coaching session, I need to talk because I'm, I'm not doing well. And so we talked. And rather than get the uh, put on your boots, strap them on, let's go, Aaron, he first drives me to the scriptures. He says, Aaron, let, let's take a look at this. And he began to help me worship with my mind. Because as I began to re-engage with the scriptures and I began seeing this truth, it began to remind me of these things. And it was enough for me to realize, I gotta keep going. And I am so thankful I did. Because since then, we've seen God do some things among you guys. And I would have missed all of it if I'd have just said, that's it, I give up, I cave in. You guys can go and do Riverwood on Sunday mornings. I'm sleeping in. I'm staying in bed. I would have missed out. And we've got Jeff and Linnell coming. I mean, we'd been praying for two years for a worship pastor. And I'll be honest, I thought we would get someone young, maybe young, some young married guy, no kids, and we'd get to like encourage him and to watch him grow. And, you know, three, four, five years, we'd be sending him out to go help plant a church somewhere to lead worship. And instead, God brings us a guy, not only with a lot of years of ministry experience, but he brings the exact gifts that we need. And his wife just comes in with this amazing attitude. And their kids are eager to be among us. And they immediately fell in love with you guys. And you guys just immediately loved them and welcomed them. And I would have missed out on all of that had I just given in and stayed in my bed. That's why you've got to worship God, but you've also got to keep going. 
It means keep talking, keep being with your spouse, keep engaging with your kids, keep going to work, keep going to the scriptures. You just keep going. Because when you worship and you keep going, you keep moving, those two get together and that's what is needed to crack through that darkness and light begins to flood back in and hope is restored. That's why you got to just keep going. Now, I can't tell you how long it's going to take. Some people, it's, it's a couple weeks. Some people, it's months. That was Louis' story. But the thing is, it's never the end. As long as you have breath in your lungs, it's not the end. You keep going, you keep hanging on, you keep worshiping. Because when you do, you get the joy of seeing the good stuff. And that's what Simeon got to do. And we see it finally in verse 28. He's in prayer. The Spirit says, go to the temple. He goes. He sees Mary and Joseph. And it says that he then, by seeing Jesus, he took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. If he would have just stayed at home, if he hadn't continued to worship God, if he hadn't gotten up, put on the sandals, and walked to the temple, he would have missed out on this moment. But instead, because he'd been worshiping, because he kept seeking God, because he was ready to go, he walks in and God shows him this poor little couple carrying this baby, and the whisper says, That's him. That's the Messiah. And I imagine he has been waiting decades for this moment. And he probably began to laugh. He he probably began like, no, no way. Maybe tears began streaming down his face. He scoops this baby up. And not only does he now have his own hope restored, but he has hope for the world. Because you see what he says about this child in a prophetic moment. Not only, God, have you seen it, let your servant. He says, I can now die. I can now depart in peace because you've kept your word. You said I was going to see him. I've now seen him. But that's not all. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. This is the salvation for the world. He's prepared it for all people. Jesus is a light to the Gentiles, and he's the glory of the Jews. He sees the totality of it. That even if I am stretching Simeon's story and I'm trying to read into it, I don't have to read into his words right here because this is clear. It wasn't just hope restored for Simeon. This is hope for the whole world. Jesus is hope incarnate. He's the, he's the, the real deal. He's the show. It's all about him. This reveals to us that the story is never done. The Jews had been waiting for centuries you got to keep in mind that when the last mark of the Old Testament was written, before Matthew was ever penned, it was 400 years. Could you imagine? It seems like 400 years of God being silent. And now God's not being silent anymore. He whispers in Jesus. And Jesus is, the sound of him just continues to reverberate throughout time and history and culture. Jesus is hope. We talked about Moses, how he was one of the greatest um, prophets the Jews had ever had. And yet God told Moses and the people that he would one day send a prophet who is even greater than Moses. Jesus is the true and better Moses. We, We looked at Joseph in Genesis, who had to go basically through hell, through slavery, through prison, before he rose to the top. And yet what do we see Jesus? 
God the Son taking on human flesh, becoming obedient even to death on a cross, going through the worst of the worst, going through hell, and then God exalting him above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. We look at David. God promised David that he would bring a son through the line of David whose reign would never end. Jesus is the true and better David. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecy, even the first prophecy given to Abraham. When God says to Abraham in Genesis 12, Abraham, I want you to go to the land I will show you. Because right in there, he says, because through you, your family is going to be a blessing to the world. And through Abraham, through the Jews, comes Jesus, the glory of Israel. He is the one who is a blessing to the world. So if you find yourself in a dark place, Jesus is your hope. And that's what Louis discovered. Louis wrote his story. The reason he's getting interviewed on all these podcasts is he wrote a book called Come Back. And in there, he shares his own journey. He looks at the journey of many people in Scripture, but he also shares the story of many people in his church, Passion City Church. And I had a chance to hear some of it, but ultimately in, in Louis' story, he said that he just continued to sing that song and he continued to seek God. And as he continued to worship, as he continued to move, he found hope coming back in. And he found himself eager to lead, to pastor, to uh, help others find Jesus, to get back to where he was. But now, Louis says that before all this happened, he said he'd never heard anyone go through having a nervous breakdown, anxiety attack, depression. He, he just wasn't familiar with it. And now that he's been through it, all these people's stories are coming out to him. And he suddenly realizes he can help lead people and help them see that no matter how dark it gets, the dawn is yet to come. Hope will come. So you got to keep worshiping. You got to keep seeking Jesus. You got to keep going after him. Keep seeking hope by seeking Jesus.